0: You are listening to the Thoughts From a Page podcast, which is a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name is Cindy Burnett, and I love to talk about books with anyone and everyone. While listening to my podcast, you will hear author interviews, behind the scenes conversations about other aspects of the publishing world, theme discussions with other book lovers, and more. For more book recommendations and a complete list of every podcast episode, check out my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Thoughts From a Page. In 2022, I would love for you to join my Patreon group. Hosting a podcast takes a ton of time, resources, and effort, and the Patreon support continues to make it possible. I offer at least three bonus episodes a month. There is a Facebook group where we all chat books, and we are currently reading two advanced copies of books and chatting with the authors pre-publication. Thanks so much to those that already participate, and I hope you will consider joining us. Today I am chatting with Lynn Liao Butler about the red thread of fate. Lynn was born in Taiwan and moved to the States when she was seven. Before becoming an author, she was a professional ballet and modern dancer and is still a personal trainer, fitness instructor, and yoga instructor. She's an avid animal lover and fosters dogs as well as volunteers with rescues. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Lynn. How are you today? Good. It's so good to talk to you again. Your books are coming out so close together that I feel like we just talked. That's got to be exciting for you.
1: I know. It was just seven months apart, I think. So, yeah, it's been quite a whirlwind.
0: That's right, because your first book got pushed back so much, but then they had this one set, and so they went ahead and just left this one.
1: Yeah, I think so. I'm not sure how it happened, but that's <laughs> that's what happened. So.
0: Well, exactly, and that's kind of fun for you just to get the second one out into the world.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's very, it's very exciting.
0: Well, why don't we start out with you talking a little bit about Red Thread of Fate?
1: Okay, so this is, as you know, my second book, and I actually wrote this as my second book. So I was lucky that both books have been are getting published. But I started this book when we were my husband and I were adopting a little boy from China. And while we were over there, the idea for this book came along. And so, you know, I made notes and stuff, but I didn't really actually think to write this book until my husband had come home. He's a FDNY fireman, and he had come home one day and told me about an accident that they had just gone on a call for where the husband was on the phone with his wife when the wife was like hit by a truck and killed. And I was like, can you imagine like, what would I do if that happened to me like right before we were going to go adopt a little boy? And just my writer brain just started going crazy, like, you know, how would somebody respond? And, you know, would I still go through with the adoption and blah, blah, blah. So that's actually where that story came from, as morbid as that thought is. And if you've read the book, um, anybody that's read it will know that I actually opened the book like
0: that. That's right. Well, I didn't realize it was such a personal story. That's really interesting. I always like hearing that because I think it really adds more to what you think about the book.
1: Yeah, I mean, this one is definitely more personal. So it's not our story at all. The part in China when they when she goes when Tam, the main character, goes to adopt Charlie, that's all happened to us. So I based her experience from our experience. That's why a lot of people said it was really detailed because it really happened. So I just took that part and I wanted to show like the human side of the Chinese orphanages because you know you hear so much about how they were so overcrowded and there was all these girls that needed to be find homes for and whatever. and I wanted to show that the connection between the nannies, the ies that took care of the babies and what happens when you know the children get adopted or if they don't, and that bond that they have that you know they really come to love the children that they care for. So that was also one of the reasons I wanted to write this book.
0: Well, one of the things I was going to ask you about was your research and if you had done a lot of research into adoption, but it sounds like you had lived the adoption, so you were able <laughs> to really build on that.
1: Yes, yes. That whole adoption part was completely like lived by us. So it was something that we went through. And all those feelings that Tam got when she was there, you know, like feeling like overwhelmed and the entire process. I mean, we basically lived through it. And I just remember like jotting down notes, as we were going through like all the paperwork and, you know, where we had to go, how long we had to be there. And I didn't know I was going to write the book. But after I guess we came back, it just kind of, the story just kind of came out of me, so. Well, it lends itself
0: to a good story as well.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, all that drama I made up, of course, like, you know, <laughs> all this stuff that happened, it didn't really happen to us. So like my, my little boy now says, thinks this book is about him. And so I had to put in the acknowledgements. I was like, no, this book is inspired by you. It is not about you. <laughs> He'll be like, I
0: never knew all those things happened.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like he's telling everybody, this book is, mommy wrote this book about me. I'm like, no, it's not about you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Well, what kind of research did you have to do?
1: I didn't really have to do research about the, well, I mean, I did do research on the adoption part. Since I've never actually stepped foot in an orphanage there, um, we were given the option to, but at the time we were so overwhelmed. And it just like Tam in the book, the orphanage is over four hours away. And, tra- and, you know, once you get stuck in traffic, so it's like four hours one way, maybe four or five hours coming back all in the same day. And then to take the little boy that just came out of the orphanage back there, we were, fr- were afraid it would traumatize him. So we didn't end up going to see the orphanage, the social welfare institute, they call it. So I had to ask our adoption director of the company that we went through. She was amazing. Like she, not only through the adoption, but she also helped me a lot with this book. She read the sections that were um, from inside the orphanage for me, since she's actually been there many, many times. And, you know, just let me know, I wanted to be sensitive and just make sure I got things correct. And I didn't, I wanted to show the human side and not let it be about political politics or any of that. So she helped me a lot with that.
0: That's wonderful, because it is one of those things that you would want to get exactly right, or at least as close as you could.
1: Right. I didn't want it to be like somebody read it, go, that's not what happened. Or she's making, you know, that that's, you're, you're making us look bad and whatever. So she's like, no, you hit it right on the, the nail on the head. So,
0: Well, what do you hope your readers take away from the book? Um, it's,
1: you know, it's a sad book in some ways, but at the same time, there's hope in there too. And I just, I wanted to show kind of like international adoption. Like that was one reason. And then the other was just to show that families can be formed that are not blood related that there are, you know, lots of families out there that are either from adoption or from blended families or just found families that people that you find along the way that become your family. So that's the main theme of the book is that you can find your family even if you think, you know, you, you don't have a family. So I hope that's something that people can take for the book.
0: I love found family stories. I think they're so important and usually just so fun to read and so engaging and really heartwarming usually.
1: Yeah, I hope so. <laughs>
0: well, did you have a favorite character that you wrote in the book?
1: Well, I, you know, this is funny. Somebody just asked me that in a question and answer. And I said, as a joke, Stella the Dachshund. <laughs> 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 because if anybody knows me, they know I'm obsessed with Dachshund. So of course I had to write in a Doxen. But besides Stella, probably the mom, I had a lot of fun writing her because she is such the epitome of a typical Asian mom. And it's not, I'm not writing to stereotype or anything like that. It's just, these are, a lot of Asian moms are exactly like her. Like they criticize, you know, they um, try to be helpful, but at the heart of it, they really just love us and just want the best for us. They don't always show it in the right way. And just Tam's reactions to the mom is so typical of like, an to me, like an Asian mother daughter relationship. Who is the hardest to write? Tam, actually, because she is supposed to be really shy and awkward and it was hard to make her likable like a lot of people are just like oh just stop being so silly and get out get out of your head and it was really hard to make her make people relate to her and not be like frustrated by her and for some you know i've talked to other author friends who have shy characters and they said that they had the same criticism like why people were like i just don't understand why she's so shy and awkward i'm like there are people out there like this this is this really happens not everybody is outgoing or snarky or you know fun and go lucky so it was really hard to find that balance between shy and awkward and then also relatable to readers that might not enjoy shy characters
0: that's so funny to me that people don't recognize that and people that they know. I know all sorts of people like that. Yeah. And I know what you're saying, because I think sometimes the hard part for shy people is that people think they're standoffish or unfriendly, but it's not that. It's that they're shy. And so they just don't want to speak or they're too nervous to speak, but it gets misconstrued.
1: Exactly. And that's what I was trying to portray with Tam. And it took a lot of work. I mean, I had to rewrite her a lot. And finally, I was able to kind of use her her awkwardness as humor, like that scene where she's on a date and she doesn't know what to say. And she goes, I like your pants. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, what about the title for your book? I know what it's tied to, but I want to hear you talk about it.
1: Um So the original title for this book was Her Little Secret. And it is about Her Little Secret, but my agent and editor both thought it was too thrillery. Yeah. And so they were like, do you have any ideas? And I was like, well, You know, the whole theme of this book is that red thread that ties people together. And the red thread of fate, it comes from Chinese mythology, where it was believed that the gods would tie a red thread between two people who are destined to be together. And usually it's relating to romantic love. But I also find that it's true for like family, whether it's birth family, you know, mother, daughter, husband, wife, adopted, whatever it is. That people are connected by this invisible red thread that can never be broken. It could be twisted and you know messed up, but it will, it will never be broken. And that's the theme a lot in this book. Like Tam is trying to find her red thread. She thought it was to her husband, and then it wasn't. And then she thought she was supposed to have a child, and then suddenly she's the guardian of a five-year-old girl. And same with uh, Mia, who is the other main character. I guess the secondary main character. Her red thread, like she's been searching for all her life. So it's that red thread was kind of weaving through the whole book. And when I mentioned it to my editor, she's like, you know what? That's perfect. So that's what we came up with. I liked it. I
0: thought it tied in with the book perfectly.
1: Yeah. I think it actually made more sense for the book than my first title did. So,
0: Well, I think it would be so difficult to suddenly have a five-year-old child to not have gone through those first five years with them. Was it hard to get that down onto the page? Not
1: really, because our son, when we got him, was almost four years old.
0: Oh, okay, so really, it was very similar to what you had experienced
1: yeah, so I basically took i I basically took inspiration from him for both Charlie and Angela, so Charlie's the little boy that they get from the orphanage, and Angela is a five year old child that she ends up being guardian with, so I kind of split our experience into two children, basically, and one you know relates to the difficulties in going to get him and everything, and the other one relates to how she was able to bond with the child because, you know, suddenly she got, she has this child just like dropped in her life. And then, you know, she's dealing with just losing her husband and all the family secrets that come kind of come out out of it. So.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Well, then you really were able to build on your own experience, even though it's not your son's story. You were able to pull a bunch from that.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, that's why um, people, I tell people this one is probably the most personal of my books so far, because I do draw so much from our experience, even though it's completely not our story at all.
0: It would be difficult to have a four-year-old child that you had not known before then. Was that hard for you?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. We were like, we, you know, we made a mistake. What the heck were we thinking? <laughs> you know, like, it was like, I mean, at that first night together, he did not sleep at all, like literally cry the entire night. And we were just like, oh, I mean, it was exactly like how I depicted it with Tam and the baby but she you know she's by herself at least I have my husband but you know it was hard and the first few months were very difficult but he is like the funny i mean he's like the people call him like a baby buddha because he's like has his light shining on him he is just so happy to be alive like he lives life the way we all should because he's just so happy to be alive and out of there i guess
0: i love that well, and I wasn't trying to ask you too personal a question, but I was just thinking kind of from my own experience, that would be difficult. But those things, they do work themselves out, and there are going to be different things we all experience over time that we're like, what have we done? And then in the end, you're thinking, this is one of the greatest things I ever did.
1: Right, exactly. But at the time, it's just like, you know, you're like in shock, and you are like, you don't know what <laughs> is going on, and you're
0: right. like, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> Why did I think this was a good idea? Exactly. So
1: I poured a lot of that into Tam's role in, you know, when she went to China and she just like, you know, by herself, like pacing around. Did he have to learn English? Oh, yeah. He didn't know a word of English. He didn't speak. And it's okay. Like people, I, I don't mind talking about this because this is such an important part of our life. And he knows you know, he's adopted. Although I don't think he quite understands what it means because he drew me a picture recently and it was a woman and there was a baby in the belly. And I said, oh, what's that? He goes, oh, that's me in your belly. I'm like,
0: okay, we need to, we need to talk about this some more. <laughs> Round two of the discussion. He understood,
1: but, <laughs> but um, he, didn't, he didn't even speak when we got him. He didn't speak for the first month that we got him and we were so worried. But then about a month in, he finally said one word and he said, bye which I think Charlie, well, that was Charlie's first word too in the book, but yeah. So, and then he had to learn not only English, but also how to speak because he hadn't spoken in almost four years. So yeah, it was very difficult. And he's just now starting to catch up like speech-wise and everything. So.
0: But you know, kids are so resilient and they do catch up and it's really hard when you're in the midst of it because you're thinking, Oh my gosh, like I really hope this is all gonna be okay. But you just see how much they can do and recover from and everything. So that's wonderful.
1: Yeah, and he he totally has. And like he really we call him the happiest little boy in the world because he really is. Like he we he used to wake
0: us up laughing.
1: Oh it would be like 2 30 in the morning and we go, we hear him go, ha ah! and we're like, oh my god, what's that? What is
0: that? You're like, do we have a ghost? I know. What is that? It was him laughing in his sleep. So <laughs> that's so cute. I love that. Well, are you working on anything at the present? I know you had two books come out in a short amount of time, so you probably have had very little time to be working on anything else, but are you working on something new?
1: Well, I actually have a third book coming out. Oh. It's supposed to come out, I think, the beginning of 2023, I think either January, so probably like less than a year from now. Are you exhausted? Oh, my agent tells me I write too fast for a traditional <laughs> publishing.
0: <laughs> I'm like, dang, girl. I was thinking you were going to say this summer, and I thought, oh, my goodness, but at least 2023 is a little bit farther off, but still. They So
1: I um, wrote, it was supposed to be my third, like, same genre, like, you know, family, drama, fiction, whatever. But I wrote it during the pandemic, and it's a book based in Kauai, and it just got... Really depressing and just really dark, and I don't know what happened. And I was like, nobody's going to like this book. And then I had two friends who are thriller writers read it, and they're like, Lynn, you wrote a thriller. There's like a stalker, there's you know murder, there's accidental killings." And I was like, "Oh, you're right." And I gave it to my agent. She goes, Lynn, you can't be writing in all these different genres. You <laughs> haven't, you, you have at this point, my first book hadn't even come out yet." I was like, "But but I think it's a thriller." And she goes, "You know what? You're right. It is a thriller." So she sold it. Like in like a few weeks. So um, it's coming out in very soon, I guess. Um, And it's called Someone Else's
0: Life. I thought you were going to say it was called Her Little Secrets. You're like, I had the title already. It was
1: called One Kawaii Night, but then they told me that sounded like a romance novel. So they
0: (laughs) they changed it. (laughs) They're like, you come up with really great titles, but they're just in the wrong genre. You know, now that you're saying that, I remember you posting about it or something that you were writing a thriller.
1: Yeah, I, I call it my accidental thriller because I didn't set off to write a thriller and then I had to rewrite the whole thing as a thriller,
0: but it was it was fun. It was It's a lot of fun. That's hilarious. Did you find it really different? I mean, rewriting it as a thriller means you must have found it somewhat different, but you had to go back and kind of have different markers and different plot points and the way things would go.
1: The funny thing is I, we sold it on just five chapters in the synopsis and then I turned into the, the full thing. And I could just hear my, both my editors going, what the heck do we buy? this?" <laughs> because, you know, I've never written a thriller. You- I, I read them all the time, but I don't know how to write them. But um, they gave me notes and they're like, uh, this thing needs to be completely restructured. And I had two and a half weeks to do it. And I had to throw away a third of the book. And I did. I wrote it in two weeks. And they when they got it, they were like, oh, my God, you just proved that you're an exceptional writer because you completely changed it. And now it's a thriller and now we're excited.
0: In two weeks. That's amazing. Right before Christmas. It was like literally
1: due December 17th or something like that. So.
0: So you are a very fast writer.
1: I'm a very fast writer. If you give me a deadline, if you give me all the time in the world, I won't write, I won't do a thing.
0: You know, that's how I am too, actually. (laughs) I always tell all these people I'm sending articles into you need to give me a deadline because if I don't have a hard and fast deadline, you know, I just keep thinking, okay, I don't need to get to that today. I don't need to get to that today.
1: Exactly. I'm not one of those people that sits down and writes every day. I just let thoughts percolate in my head. And then when I actually sit down to write, they just kind of come out. So so
0: you're a pantser, not a plotter.
1: No, I am a plotter now. I used to okay. be a pantser, but now I actually plot the entire book chapter by chapter outline before I even start to write the book. And I think that's why, and I even make a timeline, like when it, when is the character born? what when is you know, When did this happen or whatever? So I think that's why I can write so fast is because I have it all
0: plotted out already. I think you're exactly right. Authors do things so differently. And so some people sit down and their whole process is writing as they go. You know, they don't really w- bother with the outline, actually. They just start writing. So that takes a lot longer. But I think if you incorporate the time that you do the outline, and then right from there, that makes a little bit of a difference and gets you going a lot faster.
1: Right. Exactly. Definitely. So that that works for me. And I, I can outline pretty fast too. Like I outlined um this book, I think in like a few weeks, but then I sat on it and thought about it and then wrote it. But you know, every book I've written has been completely rewritten, even if when you think it's not, it's done. So I, I just I love the editing process. Like that's my favorite part.
0: I think that's just the nature of the work too. I mean, it seems like most books are heavily rewritten or at least decently heavily rewritten. Right, right. Well, what about what you've read recently that you really liked?
1: Um, so one book I read that I loved was The People We Keep by Alison Larkin. Have you read that one?
0: I haven't, but I keep hearing about it and it sounds really good. I need to get it and move it up my list.
1: I'm a huge Ally Larkin fan. I, um, her first book, Stay, was so funny. And that's how I found her was from her first book. So I've been a fan of hers through the years. And she's actually the first author who followed me back on Twitter back when I first joined Twitter, and I had no idea how to use it. Um, So we developed like a, an acquaintance. And it turns out that I live in the town that she grew up in. We had known each other for two years before like something, she said something about something. And I was like, wait, that sounds like my hometown. <laughs> and I asked her, and she goes, that's where I grew up. I'm like, no way. So anyways, I've been a huge fan of hers, but this one, the one that just came out, um, The People We Keep is so good. It follows a young girl named April from when she's like, I think a teenager and she runs away from home to, you know, do her music because she comes from kind of like a broken family. And it's just about the people, just like, you know, what we were talking about, found families, like she finds her family out in the world and it's just phenomenal.
0: I didn't know that story was about a musician till about three weeks ago when I was reading a review. And I love all of these books that are written about people who pursue their music and, you know, rock bands and all of that. So then it really did make me interested in that one.
1: Yeah, it's just so well done. It has so much heart and you just really get into, you know, April's like, just want to hug her, I guess. you know
0: I definitely need to pick it up.
1: Yeah. Do you want more? Or- I'd love more. Oh um so you know I've been binge reading thrillers just because that's my supposedly my new genre. Right? <laughs> um and so the one I just read was Nanny Needed by Georgina Cross.
0: Okay, I don't know that one.
1: It just came out I think in November or December. Um it's called Nanny Needed and it's about a woman, a young woman who applies for a job to be a nanny for this really really wealthy family, but she has to sign like a disclosure non-disclosure form and you know there's something strange about the Burr family. And it's about how she gets sucked into their life and all the secrets and lies that they're keeping. And she just like wrote it so well. It was such like, so well done. Like I didn't see any of the twists coming and it just kind of sucks you in and just keeps you like reading.
0: Sometimes when I am having a dry spell and I can't find a book I want to read and nothing sounds appealing, I pick up a thriller because they do just draw you right in.
1: Yeah, that one. And that was a really fast read. Like I think I read it in like two days. So it was it was fun.
0: That does sound fun. And domestic thrillers are so big right now. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I accidentally wrote one. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any others you want to talk about, or is that it?
1: Um, yeah, I, I read a whole bunch of, of books recently. The Gunkle by Stephen Rowley, which I think you know.
0: Yeah, I love that book and I love him. He's so
1: funny. He and I share a love with dachshunds because his first dachshund, Lily, that he wrote about. Um, so that was a great one. I also read a YA book called The Jasmine Project by Meredith Ireland. Have you heard of that one? I haven't. It's called the Jasmine Project. It's about a young, she's an adoptee also. She's, I think she's Korean. She was adopted and she's about to graduate from high school, but her boyfriend dumps her and her whole family, like this giant family decides they're going to find a suitable boyfriend for her because her ex was kind of a jerk. And so they set up like this, you know, they find these candidates and they, you know, throw them into her path and they're trying to get her to like find a new boyfriend because the old boyfriend is wants her back later. And so it's just really funny. It's like really cute story.
0: It sounds really cute. Yeah. I've actually been reading a little bit more YA than I used to, which really means I've been reading YA because I never used to read any yes. of it. I have been reading some YA is the better way to say that. And I'm really enjoying the ones I pick up. So I may have to look at that one. I also wrote a YA book, just so you know. <laughs> you did? Is it coming out too? No, we don't know yet. That uh-huh. one is
1: still up in the up in the air, but I ended up writing that last year. Before I wrote, right after I finished the thriller, I had I was at loose ends. And my agent's like, "You can't do anything right now because you know your book hasn't come out, and you can't keep writing adult. You can't
0: keep writing different genres."
1: So she's like, "Why don't you write a YA?" I was like, "Okay."
0: <laughs> you have a lot of energy. I need some of your energy.
1: No, I just have a lot of ideas that are in my head. That's I have this very vivid imagination. I hear things and they turn into stories. So.
0: Well, that's great. Well, it seems like several authors are doing the combination of writing adult books and then writing YA books and kind of toggling back and forth.
1: Yes, definitely. Um, Some of my agency sisters, Tiff Marcello and Farah Heron, both write YA and adults.
0: Well, great. Well, Lynn, I always love talking to you. This was wonderful. And I can't wait for Red Thread of Fate to make its way out into the world and for everyone to read it.
1: Thank you so much for having me again.
0: Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you liked this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From a Page. Consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. The book discussed today can be purchased at the Conversations From a Page bookshop storefront and the link is in the show notes. I hope you'll tune in next time.